Welcome to In the Fire, a podcast for the young families of Chapelgate Presbyterian Church. Marriage and parenting are a wonderful blessing and are extremely rewarding, but they're also really hard and can leave us feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and defeated. That's exactly why we started this podcast, to help families see how the gospel injects encouragement, comfort, and hope into the daily grind of our lives, and to remind you that you're never alone in the struggle. There is another In the Fire. Hello, welcome back to In the Fire. My name is Rob Gicking, Director of Young Family Ministry at Chapelgate Presbyterian Church, and I'm joined here today by a good friend, Travis Drown. Travis and I have been in a small group together for the past three years. Um, Travis, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, Rob, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to you know, be a part of this and uh, just kind of help young families out there because we're all kind of struggling to figure out life together and just want to tell you that I'm a, I'm a young family, got two, uh, two young boys and love every, every minute of that, but there are stressors that come along with that each and every day. And I'm lucky to own and operate my business, uh, which is in the financial world. Uh, and so that's uh, a lot of fun. And I, I hang out with a lot of retirees and people planning for the future, but my passion and heart really is for the younger generation and, and allowing them to focus more on the stewardship than their stuff. Yeah, I think that's great. Travis and I have spent uh, hours and hours and hours talking about financial things. And so I thought, you know, having grown up at Chapelgate, your parents are at Chapelgate, you know, you'd be a great fit to sort of talk to our young families about this topic. And um, one of the things that I I particularly appreciate about you, Travis, is I, I think you really have a great grasp on, you know, Owning stuff isn't bad, but when stuff owns you, we have a problem. Um, I know that you and I have spent a lot of time wrestling through that, you know, individually as men, as as fathers, as husbands, and um, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, picking your brain a little bit here on what it looks like to be financially responsible as a young family. But before we do that, it's time for a hard hitting question. Today's hard hitting question is brought to you by me because we have no sponsors. Hint hint. Okay. Anyway, so. If you had a million dollars, what is one absolutely frivolous, totally selfish thing you would buy or spend it on? So I I have to throw that caveat in because when you talk to Christian people, the first thing they'll tell you is, I'd give 10% to the Lord. God bless you if that's true, all right? But let's just assume for half a second that this million dollars was not to be used for a good cause. It's only selfish. You have a million dollars. What's the first thing you're buying for yourself, Travis? I would buy a ski-in and ski-out condo. It's always been a dream to to have a place that I can just take the family and just go ski-in, ski-out, and, and that would I'd probably buy a nice sports car or something, too, because I, I like to go fast. But sp- between those two things is what I would waste my money on pretty quick. That's pretty great. Um, I think I would take that million dollars, <clears throat> and I, I'd probably just buy myself a real nice golf golf club membership, you know? Because then I, I would know what it's like to have a golf club membership, and and I'd understand why, finally, the secret would be on uh, the people with golf club memberships never play golf. And I've always been so curious about that. So I want to get a golf club membership and then see, is it just something about the new status that, like, you've lost love for the game or, or you know, what? Anyway, that's what I would do. So thank you for answering the hard-hitting question, Travis. Uh, now that you're, you're loosened up, we'll throw you some nice, easy ones from here on out. So we want to talk about money, specifically money and marriage, because as we look at statistics, 
We know that money is one of the most common reasons cited for divorce. I think it's the second or third most common. Um, I, I literally think it's behind infidelity as, as a cause for divorce. So roughly 36 to 40 percent of divorces are attributed to financial strain and issues. Why do you think the two are so linked? Yeah, I think money creates financial pressure. And if, if there's no uh, objective or there's no goal or there's no direction what you're taking your resources as a family, if you don't set goals to that, it creates pressure. And and so a debt has a lot to do with this. Debt builds pressure, I believe. Um, and so I think that's a conversation uh, that we'll probably get into. But debt's not the only thing. I think there's also the the perception that, that money can, can have on people. And I was actually reading a, a study recently, and it, it talked about that like one in three families that actually have stressors about marriage, they actually hide purchases from their spouse because it's they, they know that their spouse will not approve of that purchase, so they most likely will, will try to hide. And so what that does is it, it deceives, and it and when you deceive yourself, you deceive your spouse. And what happens with that is money very easily brings your heart to the service, I really believe. Mm. Yeah, money brings your heart to the service. Tell, tell us a little more about that. What do you mean? Yeah, so, you know, I think in, in scriptures, uh, you know, the Luke twelve thirty four verse, I think, is something that I always kind of you know, talk about is for where your treasure is, you know, treasure m- meaning money, there your heart is also. And, you know, when we're, in, you know, we're young families, we're, we're trying to figure life out together, you're, you have two sinful people trying to become one flesh here. And so now you got each individual has their own, you know, different ideas, their expectations. Now you bring this into the mix, and then now you throw in some kids and all the stressors that that can bring. And so I just, money very easily brings, you know, your heart to the surface there. And so I, I just think that's, if, if, you've, if, if I were to financial, if I do financial counseling for a lot of people, when I do that, I always tell people, I say, you know, if, I, if you gave me three months of bank statements or looking at some transactions in the last couple months and a, a tax return, there's a pretty good chance that I could actually kind of see, you know, a, a little glimpse into your heart. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's brilliant. You know, that misquoted, another Bible verse often misquoted is that money is the root of all evil, and it's actually the love of money is the root of all evil. But going with where your treasure is, there your heart is also, in America, where we have a capitalist economy, you're rewarded for what you bring to the table. The more valuable what you bring to the table is, the higher your personal gain and reward is. We really do live in a transactional society, and so my value, my worth, my esteem, um, my rank in society is often measured with the scorecard of my salary, and then further measured with you know how much have how much purchasing power do I have, and so money can very quickly be a very confusing thing for our hearts, and I I think that you know you're kind of hinting at that is that it. No one would ever say, you know, oh, well, money can buy happiness. We have a whole saying, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. But we can fall prey very quickly in our own hearts, as you're saying, two sinners. Two sinners who have their own thoughts, their own desires, their own worries and, and anxieties coming together in an area that is that is actually extremely prevalent in Jesus' teachings, almost as a cautionary, you know, theme here is like money, you got to be careful with it. You got to be careful that it doesn't start to own you. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why we say just open, constant communication is so important in in your marriage. Uh, and 
it's if there's no objective or goal, it's it's going to create tension and pressure because there's two individuals that have different objectives. And if you don't communicate those, then those tend to build up. And that's where I think a lot of, of conflict can happen. So let's, let's talk about the objectives and goals real quick. As, as I understand it, and I have a background in um, some background in finance, mostly with Dave Ramsey and uh, the financial piece. And, you know, I'm a coach with, with the Ramsey Solutions. But there seems to be kind of two objectives, right? There's like a, there's a go get objective and there's a void pain objective. And, you know, we, we can kind of lump those in as savers and spenders. Would you, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And I like the, the, the Dave Ramsey mindset on the, on the savers and the spenders. And, and what's interesting when I kind of think about that a little deeper is, well, what is a saver? Well, they're actually just not prioritizing themselves now. They're just prioritizing themselves later. Right. But a spender is just prioritizing now versus later. So they both have a, a me mentality, a self mentality. And so it's just how do we balance those? Because they're, they're both important concepts of you got to have you got to be able to spend, you got to be able to save, but you got to have balance in that. But they're very both selfish mindsets. And and how do you come together as a family and focus on those things, which are very, you know, self uh, viewing uh, mindset? but have a missional mindset of, of something bigger than yourself. And that's, that's the challenge that I think, uh, you know, when we always talk about money, it's always how can I get this or how can I help somebody um, is, is not natural with money. Right. I, I think that's really a great observation, what you just said, because oftentimes it's easy in a marriage, right? If Let's say I'm the saver. Okay, and I'm I'm the saver in my marriage. It's easy for me to feel like if I, especially if I married a spender, right? That oh my gosh, they just they're irresponsible, and you know, don't they know? And you know, could they possibly be more instant gratification? You know, and it's easy to start puffing myself up as like, well, I'm like the self righteous one, right? Like I do this right. Well, actually, I, I agree with you, Travis. I think saving is wise. So don't nobody should hear that we think saving is bad or irresponsible. In fact, I think it is good and healthy. Uh, you know, part of a balanced financial outlook. But yeah, let's be careful, you know, those of us who are savers, not to be harsh with our, our spending spouses, because the truth is, yeah, we're, we're really no different. When we save money, a lot of the times it's still self, self-motivated. self When we spend money, a lot of the times it's self-motivated. And so, you know, we call this total depravity in, in the theology world, but like the at the end of the day is I'm a sinner and there's no part of my life that is not impacted by sinfulness and that includes money yeah it, it sure does so that's it, i think we can continue to dive into some of these topics but that's it's how can we take money as an how can we take money as an objective um viewpoint but but how can we focus to to do this in a in a joint um in a joint environment, in a joint Absolutely. marriage. Yeah, yeah, it's a team now. And so let's touch on that, and then we'll keep moving here. I mean, having a good grasp on your money is certainly important. Um, let's talk about those early years. You, you mentioned open communication. Uh, how do we start to engage that conversation when, you know, for a number of years at the very least, you know, when we're single or we're just dating, it's my account, it's, it's her account, how do we how do we start that process? Yeah, I think everybody's different, and I'm going to use the word budget. And there's going to be half the people that are going to go, "I'm never going to do a budget because that's that's what requires work." But I think budget is just a great exercise for you to come together to say what are our goals and objectives, 
And it just allows you to figure those things out together as, as a family. And when you make a budget, you're now able to figure out where the money goes. And now when financial pressure comes, when you need to make an adjustment, you can now go back to where are we spending? Where are we saving? How can we make adjustments? And that just allows you to be able to make adjustments when necessary. And you're just better equipped when you make a budget. Yeah, I think that's really, that's great because here's the truth, right? I'm a free spirit. So I, I'm a, on the scale of like rigid to like free flowing. And people might be surprised by that because they go, well, you know, you're a little bit crazy, like spontaneous guy. I'm like, I am. But at the end of the day, like I don't enjoy being boxed in. And so when the, when the idea first came um, from Kate to do uh, Financial Peace University, which is like an eight-week class on like all the things you're supposed to do with money, I... I literally remember like after the second week we came home and I was like red in the face, like just like steam was pouring out of my head. I was like, this guy, I can't believe, you know, he wants us to budget. Who do you think I am? Like some nerd walking around with an Excel spreadsheet. And I, I resisted everything about it. And yet what you said is absolutely right. It took me a while to get here, but I actually learned, and Kate was really pivotal in this, the budget actually frees me up. Because now I'm not worried, am I spending too much? I know, like, if I've allotted, let's say, $30 to going out to eat for the month, I don't worry about going out to eat because I go, hey, I've got 30 bucks to take my wife on a date. Versus if I have no clue what's assigned to what task or, or objective, I go, well, let's see, I spent $14 on this, and I spent $63 on, on some new clothes, and I, I have no clue if I have money left. So uh, let's just wing it, right? That's not a good plan. Yeah, it, it's it's not. And, you know, here's the thing is, you know, we're talking with, you know, young couples here and it's time is really important. And so now we're saying, well, let's put more time into your to your schedule, which you don't have to build a budget. And, you know, there's there's apps like the every dollar app from Dave Ramsey. There's mint.com, which I've been using for probably 15 plus years now. You know, and you can set up ones through your bank. They have these systems. So there's ways to to, to make shortcuts in this where it doesn't feel like a, a big headache. You know, you can make your own on Excel, which is common, you know, and just, you know, put that together. But I always, when I do something like financial counseling for people, you know, I always call it budget 101 is the, the best way we can, you know, handle this if, if it's hard and time is very challenging and some people are just not money oriented. So this is even a, a harder conversation. And what I tell them to do is I say, hey, take your checking account where all your income and expenses are all kind of flowing through there. And what you do is you just you set a reminder every month to just look at that number and you say, all right, month one, it was, let's say, $5,000. And and now let's set a reminder on our phone and we look at it next month. All the income expenses are coming through one account. Now, is it higher or lower next month? And we do that for just three or four months. And now we have a good idea of saying, this is just what I call budget shortcut is are we spending more than we're taking in? Oh, we have a thousand dollars extra. All right, now what, what should we do with that? And now that's a great conversation for, for you and your spouse. And, and so that's where I would, you know, tend to start with some people that resist budgets is this is easy to do. Just look at it every month, write it down and track it. And now you have a good idea of, of your baseline. Yeah. I, I think when you look at the call of scripture for money, you know, first off, we would, we would acknowledge that God is the rightful owner of everything, you know, from our, from our money, to our, our 
our cars and houses, but even us, right? Like, you know, we know very clearly that that from spiritual gifts or even just like mental capacity, talent, uh, achievement, we did not choose when we were in the womb what gifts we got or did not get. God gave those freely to us, and he owns all of it. You know, we are bought with a price. Therefore, let us live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. And so as I think about this, I go, it's to me— it's really important to have a budget from that standpoint. It's really hard to steward. Well, maybe we could talk about that in a second, but it's hard to be a good steward of what I don't know. How, how can I? How can I almost come back and give a a solid report, you know, to my spouse, uh, to God or whomever about what I'm doing with money that if I don't know how much is coming in and how much is going out? So let, let's talk for a second about stewardship. As you explain that concept to people, what are some of the key things that you like to, to explain? Yeah, that's a great question, because this is, <clears throat> this is a challenging, you know, mindset, is we don't live in a world that, that prioritizes stewardship in any way. And so, you know, first got to understand that money kind of rules us all a little differently. And so, you know, some people are going to need to look at stewardship a little differently, I think. Um, but really, all it, all it is is taking your stuff and saying, am, am I willing, no matter what I buy or purchase, am I willing to use this or to just allow someone to borrow it um, in any way, shape, or form? And that's kind of the basics that I think uh, it is because I see a nice car out there and I want a nice car, but you know, what good is that besides trying to make me happy? Uh, if, if I now have a nice car, I'm afraid to let anybody use it. Well, now that's, that's ruling my mind. It's ruling my heart. Um, and so that's, the, that's kind of the basics of, of stewardship is taking our stuff and, and making sure that it's not ruling us. And so stewardship is God's given us all gifts and talents differently. He's given my family some gifts and talents. So how can we now have a, what I call a missional mindset of mm. taking something that we have that God's given us to now focus on, on something bigger than ourselves? So as we think about stewardship using what God has given us for His glory and the good of others, missional mindset, where does... Um, trying to think how to how to ask this correctly where does the role of like self-indulgence come in i I mean is it should we never do anything that is for us yeah that's that's a great question is you know it's it's your heart is you know you can do nice things you can go on vacations to re-energize and to have have a great time and to invest in your spouse and to do all those things but when we talk about what is the purpose of uh, investing in ourselves if there's not a greater good to that, because that's ultimately just going to leave us into, you know, a, a challenging situation down the road is now how do we how do we get away from a, a selfish mindset? Because that's that's what the world teaches. We're all born with a sinful nature. And I think we got to have balance with that. And so, yeah, you can have fun. You can you can you know, have fun with, you know, things, money and, and, and possessions. But it's it's a, the objective of where is your heart when you do those fun things? Is it is it to grow your faith? Is it to be a better light to the world, um, or is it to just be about me, me, me? I think that's really good from the standpoint of thinking. You know, a master and a servant, which is an illustration Jesus uses often in his parables, especially parables about money. It can be easy to fall into the trap that stewardship is this duty-driven obligation. Um, there's no joy, there's no fun whatsoever. And yet the other illustration throughout all of Scripture over and over and over again, and I believe the primary way that God wants to reveal himself to us in relationship is as a loving father. Um, you have two boys, I have two boys. Uh, do you give your kids stuff? 
I just bought a three-year-old a toy that I didn't think he would get until he was like eight. Uh, but yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And, and and here's the deal. We we do, like as parents, we know when our children are being selfish, when they're being greedy, when they're not willing to share with their sibling or whoever, that you go, hey, that, that item, that toy or whatever has a hold on their heart. But at the same time, I go, but it's not like I give my kid a birthday present and I'm only pleased if he turns around and gives it away to somebody else. Like I give good gifts to my kids so they can enjoy those gifts. And I think God really does feel the same way about us, right? You know, God, as Paul says to Timothy, it's like God gives all good things for our full enjoyment. And part of the joy, and here's what people miss, isn't just that it it does good to me. It's that I get to be a participant in the ministry of God to the surrounding area. When I stop seeing that as a sacrifice, and I start seeing it as a God-given desire in my heart, you know, 1 John 4, 19, we love because we're first loved. When I start to see, like, my God is so abundant in his generosity. He has, he has bestowed in such amazing amounts grace upon me and my family that when I see a need, it actually makes me happy to fill it. That is, I think, like, that's transcendent joy that comes when God is at the center of my heart. I see money as a beautiful thing and not as the ultimate thing. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And it builds relationship. I mean, when you experience together, now you're, you're building a community and a relationship. So, I mean, I think that's 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 a great point. Is is Yeah, so circling all the way back then to the start, one of the things you mentioned were, were financial, I think you said pressures or stressors maybe. Let's talk debt. Um, we, we are in a really high-earning area. I think... Um, in the 2020 census, it came out that the average or median, I know those are different, the median um, household income is $124,000. Now, that, that was two years ago. I'm sure it's more now. But we're also an extremely leveraged society. Debt really is commonplace. I'm curious, what, what would you tell a young, a young family, maybe an engaged couple, who's coming into into, you know, they're going to get married this fall, they're getting ready to start their life together. How would you talk to them about debt? Yeah, it's a great question. I was just reading just the other day when I was, uh, that um, there's a study out there that, that marriages in the last five years, what percentage of them have started out in debt? And it's like over 80-some percent of marriages in the last five years have started off in the red. They've started in debt. And so that is a very common place that you're talking about now. Um, and so, you know, every spouse has a different view of debt. Um, there's some of them are more emotional. Um, and so it's just open, constant communication about that is, is very uh, important. And when I do some counseling, and I always talk about, you know, debt as, you know, how, how important is this to you to pay down? And everybody has a different response to that. And if, if it's my spouse's debt, I actually have more emotional frustration and tension with it probably than the person that has the debt on their name. Um, and so now when you have that, especially coming into a, a young couple or a new marriage, that's just important communication is how important is this in the priority of buying a new house, getting established, having our first child? Where is this in the category of, of how important is this and how much of an impact does this have emotionally and personally? Um, and so... Communication obviously is is key, um, and and I think that's what. When do you communicate that? So like, let's say you know you're counseling. Like I said, this is an engaged or seriously dating couple. 
I know for me, like in, in the ministry context, I have an opinion on that. But when, when do you think you need to really be upfront about your financial health? I mean, the earlier you start, the better. And, uh, you know, my wife and I actually, before we got married, we had some financial pressure, which was money. And it was saying, hey, what are we going to do before we get married? And so we were fortunate to have almost we were forced to kind of talk about it. But it really gave us a good starting point of, all right, what are you bringing to the table? What am I bringing to the table? That's not even. It's never going to be even. So how do we come together even before we were married and have a conversation to say, are we ready to get married in this this stance? And so, uh, you know, saving early uh, and always saving a percentage is a, a constant thing that I always talk about. Um, but making sure that you can focus on making some small little sacrifices now, create good habits, um, will, will make you, you know, be able to, you know, flourish um, a lot a lot more successfully than, than those that don't talk about it. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think one of the worst things you can do uh, for your marriage, especially after understanding that money and marriage are intertwined uh, in such a, you know, for better or worse kind of way, no pun intended. But I think if you're hiding stuff from your spouse, I would say you got to bring that to light right away. I mean, not only are we supposed to be really one flesh with our spouse, but I, I do think to me, I would say that does include one bank account unless you're in extraordinary circumstances, which there are some in our area. Um, but to me, I I really do think as you continue to work towards that unity as husband and wife, uh, you, you're, you're right, Travis. We got to get away from individual goals, individual debt, and start to think of it as family goals and family debt. And uh, to hide that from a spouse, I think you'd really be, you'd be doing a massive disservice to your marriage. Um, and, and I also think that that needs to be communicated early like you said, because you don't want to surprise somebody, you know, imagine, <laughs> imagine getting married and then having, having your husband come to you and be like, Hey, so by the way, we're $80,000 in debt. It's like, would that have made a difference? I don't know, but boy, you know, why would you even put yourself or your spouse in that situation? You got to be forthright about it. So as we think about debt, would you say that it's, it's an unbiblical thing no, it's. I mean, it's not unbiblical. I, I think consumer debt is a very challenging kind of conversation, and then you can talk about mortgage debt or other other things that you know. There's a backing to is what I call is, um, but it, it's there's it, you can use debt. You know, to I mean, it costs to sleep indoors. We always joke about that, but it costs to sleep indoors, and we're in Howard County, you know, area here. It's it's expensive, and. I've got a 32-year plan to pay off my house, you know, so that's that's probably what's going to happen because th- that's, w- but we have a goal and we have an objective and we laid it out to say, hey, I got a 30-year mortgage. Well, I refinanced two years ago, so now it's a 32-year plan and that's what we're on and will I try to pay extra on that? I, you know, I probably will, but it's, that is debt where it, it's just, that's a priority is to have my house um, and to have a, have a, a you know, a realistic goal to pay that down, that's fine. But it, consumer debt and buying things that um, we think are going to ha- have happiness, um, those type of things, you know, that those are a little bit more challenging kind of conversations. Um, obviously, they car- you know, carry higher interest rates and, and that compounding factor happens, you know, there. But it's, you've got to use debt, you know, because this is, it's the world we live in, whether it's loans for school sometimes, that, that's there. And, um, but if, if there's no goal or there's no 
focus on paying those down, then that's where it really starts to, to rule you and create more financial pressure. Absolutely. I mean, Proverbs is clear, right? The borrower is slave to the lender. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It's just the truth, right? When I owe money on something, it it really does have a strong, heavy impact in my life. And I think at times we can take, especially as you mentioned, the consumer debt. And what we mean by that is is things that are non-essential is probably a good way to look at it. You, you know, it does cost to sleep indoors. And, uh, you know, it's pretty essential that you have a house for your family. And so, you know, homes, um, transportation, and I'm, I'm going to use that one with a lower T because I think sometimes we think cars are transportation and we think cars have certain emblems on the hood and we just have to have those. And I would actually throw that in with consumer debt. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, debt brings something into my life. It brings an obligation and that obligation can be very stressful and it, and it really can put me in a position where I begin to worry and, and have anxiety over. And so I agree 100%. Um, let's talk, you know, we're, we're running out of time here. And the beautiful thing about money, I think, is that it really, it, we could talk about it for hours and hours and hours and never get close to, to solving everything um, because it does bring our heart to the service. But what would, you, what would you tell folks in terms of debt as they, they make decisions where maybe, okay, here's, here's a concrete example. I want to buy a couch. I want to buy a new sectional for my, for my family room. The couch I have now is fine, but, you know, it's a little outdated. But in order for me to afford to buy this couch, I got to put it on a credit card and start making payments. What would you tell me? Yeah, I mean, I would have to say it's it's going to determine, you know, what is your overall goals and objectives. Uh, you need you need to have a place that's comfortable, um, but are, is this a high-end couch? Um, is this something that's going to fit in with the budget? Because there's there's two people in the in the there's two spouses, right? So one might be okay with the purchase, one might not be. But if you're both okay with it and you have a goal to say, hey, I'm going to pay this down in in two years, um, and this is a priority, but this might handicap us from you know, some from future goals and objectives that we're trying to get to, maybe saving for our kids' college or, you know, buying the next house because right now we're in a smaller house and we're about to have our next kid, you know, so what are the priorities? And you might have to cut some areas. And is it a couch? Is it uh, a bigger TV? Is it uh, a nicer dining room table? Sometimes we just have to make little sacrifices today. Um, and so uh, that's just going to be the, the constant communication is how, how big of a priority is this? Because this will impact other decisions down the road. Absolutely. I think what I tell people is this. I say pray and prioritize. Pray and prioritize. We need to become in the habit of when we're making a financial decision, praying about it. You know, Lord, is this, I want this, you know, help me. Help me want you more than I want this thing. Give me some clarity. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Help me prioritize what you have put in front of me to prioritize. When we start looking at stuff as more important than people, that's a problem. We need to have a reprioritization. When we start looking at uh, you know instant gratification over long-term objectives that put our families in a good, healthy position, we need a reprioritization. I, I agree with you 100% on that, Travis. Um, as we close, I just want to talk about contentment a little bit. Contentment, the older I get, the, the longer I've been here, and it's not that long, but I really am starting to believe that contentment is absolutely 100% a gift. It is a gift from God, and we should pray and ask God to give us contentment. In a world 
that flies a thousand miles per hour after every brand new flashy thing, contentment is not only rare, but it just seems out of reach. How would you explain the way that Jesus impacts and gives contentment to people? And, and maybe let's close with, how does that change a Christian's worldview as it pertains to money? Yeah, that's a great question. Is we're all going to go through different stages, um, you know, of life, and and I think you know, I started out like most people. My first job, I made you know very little, and uh, I, I've always wrestled with that because I'm in the money world. I'm looking at balance sheets. I'm looking at people's finances. I'm looking at my own finances. All I'm looking at is numbers every day, and it's all around money. And so, I got to understand that where I'm at right now, that God is enough for me, and. That's just a hard kind of concept to always, you know, kind of have that on the forefront of your mind. Um, and, and that's why I think, you know, tithing for me personally is, is so important in this con- uh, conversation because, you know, I, I have a personal story with tithing. I think it's actually, uh, you know, pretty cool here is that, you know, I, I was making, I think it was like $20,000 a year was my first, you know, big boy job, I call it. And I go to my dad, I grew up in a Christian home and, you know, very close to my dad and, you know, as a, as a little boy, I remember, you know, always taking my parents' tithe and putting in the offering bucket. And my dad was always, you know, he, he made it obvious that he was, you know, a tither and a saver. And he, to, he told his, you know, kids, me and my brothers, you know, about that. And so he didn't hide that in any way. And so I was always asking questions about that. So that was definitely in, in my understanding of, all right, we should tithe. But then it goes into now my own paycheck. And now it's a real paycheck that I'm, I'm cutting into for, for giving. And so I went to my dad at the end of the first year, and I said, hey, I, I gave $2,000, Dad. Isn't that awesome? And he goes, well, what does your heart say about that? And I was like, well, I, I checked the box. Like, that was what I was supposed to do, right? And he goes, never be comfortable with giving. And I didn't really understand that for years, and now I'm really starting to grasp that is it's, it's a heart issue. It's, it, it's always about a heart issue. And if, if we're constantly making money and— you know, I always talk about is, is money really here for my consumption? And that's the, the battle I'm always dealing with each and every day. And so tithing is just this weekly or monthly constant reminder where I can pray and go to God to say, help me to not let this money rule me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might feel like a little bit, it might feel like a lot. We're all in different situations, but it doesn't take much for us to feel content with money. So now we got to say, all right, we're in a position where that can really be a challenging kind of conversation. We feel like we're in a good place, but with tithing, we always want to push ourselves to be uncomfortable with tithing because now that contentment of God is enough for me is, um, is really a, a, you know, kind of conversation. And in Matthew, it talks about you can't serve uh, two masters, right? You, you can't serve both God and money. And so I think that's just a constant, you know, um, check-in or a constant battle that, that we have to, you know, address each and every day. I love that. I think, you know, it says God loves a cheerful giver, and we can oftentimes look at that and go, well, I'm not too cheerful, so maybe that means that I shouldn't give. This is what I would tell anybody, anybody who gives gives me a chance to say it. I say, actually, that's a that's like almost like a, it's a, almost a promise. Because if you say, hey, God, I'm not cheerful. Listen, we believe, you know, it's covenant theologies, God moves first and God is always faithful, even though we are not. And I think 
how do I become a cheerful giver? It's because I see over the pattern of my life God's faithfulness on display, his love, his grace, his mercy on display. It manifests itself over and over and over again until I can't ignore it anymore, even though I fail over and over and over again. And when I start, when my heart finally catches up to that, when I start to actually recognize that it's God's grace, that God is abundant beyond my wildest dreams and imaginations, that I'm more sinful than I could possibly you know, ever conceive, and yet he loves me more than I'd ever dare to dream, uh, wow, okay, how could I not be cheerful? I love what your dad said, you know, don't be content, never be content with giving. There's, a, there's actually a joy on the other side of this that far surpasses any joy I could ever get by owning any item here on earth to know that God loves me so much that he gave his only son just to have a relationship with me and that he cares for me and provides for me. Man, I mean, what more could you ask for? Yeah, and it's the conversation, you know, is is, is just that. And, you know, we can't outgive God, and God doesn't need our money. And it, it doesn't really matter how much we we give um, in, in terms of dollar amount, you know, because we all have different incomes, we all have different abilities. Uh, and, and so I just always challenge people to uh, focus on, you know, a percentage, but always increase that percentage or become uncomfortable with it because that's where the stirring in your heart you know that's where the opportunity for that to happen is and and now that allows you to grow and if if you do it to you know just accomplish it i just don't think that uh, for me personally that's just not a way that i can grow and so it's come with a humble heart uh and allow god to to use your resources that, that he's greatly given you and given a portion back and if you have that mindset it it you become a cheerful giver and it almost becomes addicting in a way that you, you get excited to, to give, and uh, how can I do more, and how can I grow, uh, work a couple extra hours so I can give more, or how can I grow my business, or whatever that situation is, and that's where you, you take it to the next step of, of being a cheerful giver, um, because you understand uh, the big picture of, uh, of what it can do for you personally, but God can invest my money way better than I can, Absolutely. you know, and so that's that's the conversation that I always wrestle with is, uh, he can he can do greater things th- than I can, so this should not be um, as as challenging. And if you're listening and you're like, you know, I just that's not my experience. I mean, pray, ask God, say, God, would you work in my heart in such a way that it literally transforms the way that I view, think, hold on to money? Would I like work in my heart that I would see your generosity and your grace in in a transformational way? Because He will, He absolutely will, Travis. Thank you so much for being here, man. It's always a, a fun time to hang out. It's even more fun when we can hang out and talk about stuff like this. Um, guys, if you want more, uh, if you are realizing that after hearing Travis and I talk that like maybe you could use some help with a budget or you know kind of a financial health evaluation, please reach out. Um, I, I'm a financial coach with Dave Ramsey, and I don't follow everything he says to a T, uh, as you could probably tell from Travis in my interview, but I do think the principles that he lays out in financial peace are really a great starting point for almost everybody on earth. And so if, if that is what you would like, please reach out. I'd love to sit down and help you with that. If you want to learn more um, beyond that, maybe beyond what I can do, I'd be happy to connect you with certain people. Um, and would, would love that opportunity to help you grow in generosity by, by learning how to steward the resources God has given you for his glory and the good of others. So, Travis, uh, anything to add as we close? 
No, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks for being uh, open to, to talking about this stuff because money is definitely a conversation that we all have it in some way, shape, or form of capacity. And just open, constant communication is, is the best way to, to help, uh, you know, not allow stuff to rule us. Great work. Thanks, Travis. Hey, listen, thanks for listening to another episode of In the Fire. We'll be back next week with our last episode of season one. So be sure to check it out coming to you on Wednesday morning. Thanks for being with us. And remember, you're not alone in this. There's always another in the